Welcome to the Multicast. This is John. And it's your boy Fadi. What's going on, guys? I got to start with what I think is the absolute grounds for uh, Kevin McCarthy to resign was uh, his giving, not leaking, but his presenting on a silver platter uh, January 6th footage to Tucker Carlson, who went ahead and did what we expected him to do. Now, I'm not mad at Tucker Carlson. Why? Because Tucker did what he does, what we expected him to do. My anger, my beef, my frustration is with the Speaker of the House. Your reaction to the news this week that Tucker Carlson did what we expected him to do with the January 6th footage. I have the complete opposite reaction, John. I love this. I love this. Maybe I'm so cynical but this completely backfired on them. Like when you have other Fox News anchors, when you have right wing Republican senators and congressmen saying, uh, I think Tucker's wrong on this. Like uh, when you have people saying Tucker's wrong on the right, I think is going to benefit us. Again, I don't want to make everything I say talk about politics in 24 and midterms and everything like that. But it's January 6th is something you can't spin. It's not Benghazi. We weren't there. It's not the oil spill, right? It's not Katrina. It's not Hurricane Sandy. All the all the fake kind of um, they try to make every single controversy into uh, this is Obama's Katrina. This is Obama's Katrina, right? You can't spin January sixth because we saw it live, and January sixth generally polls extremely um, beneficial to us. What I mean is most people see it how we see it that it was an insurrection. It was uh, right-wing extremism. It was Trump sending his people to attack us, the United States government, or us, the United States, right? Fox News has tried unsuccessfully for the last year and a half, however it's been two years, to change the narrative. They first started saying, well, it, it was violent, but it wasn't Trump people. It was Antifa and it was FBI. That didn't stick. Then they said it was going to be um, oh, you know, it really wasn't that bad. It was like 90%, 95% were good people, 5% kind of ruckus. That didn't stick. Then it went into, hey, it wasn't that, it was just a peaceful protest. This is their house. They felt like they were invited there and they went there. Nothing they've done over two years has stuck. And here we have, John, Tucker Carlson completely cherry picking video evidence, thinking that he could he could change the narrative and it backfiring. John, Tucker is a guy that I personally believe is really hard to miss. Like, he usually nails it. Everything he tried to pitch usually falls right on perfect with that crowd. And here's something that I don't think stuck. Not only that, but and, and not to keep going, but I always told you this. Like, when Tucker messes up, just like when Joy Reid or, or, or whoever messes up, they would ask President Biden. They would ask at the time Speaker Pelosi. McCarthy got questions on this, and he completely fumbled the questions, right? Senators, Republican senators, Mitch McConnell had to do a press conference to talk about it. Republicans are facing heat for Tucker, and so in that case, I think it completely changed. Uh, the, they, were, they couldn't change the narrative, and that's why I think here's what I truly believe what I'm trying to say. January 6th in the news helps us with voters. And so as long as they keep continuing putting in the news, we don't need a January 6th commission. They're doing it for us. Do you think that when you talk about the backfire, do you think, one, given what we're hearing as far as the release of the text that we're seeing in the Dominion lawsuit, but do you also think the fact that there is a hardcore competition between Fox, um, OWN, Newsmax, and then you also have uh, Steve Bannon out here trash-talking Fox News, do you think that some of the backfiring on Tucker has anything to do with the fact that right-wing media, I don't think it's really divided as much as the other players in right-wing media are ready for Fox not to be the king. Does that have anything to do with it? If, if right-wing media was united right now and all singing from the same hymnal, might this be looking different? That's a great question. As you were talking, I was thinking of you know what the text messages talk a lot about? Uh, they talk about the, the, the main stories of Tucker lying, all these people lying. It's the clear story. Something that continues to be brought up in those text messages that I don't think people enough talk about is the Arizona call. Fox News, out of all the stations, called Arizona first to President Biden. 
And and Tucker and all the Fox News people were worried that they lost credibility, even though they did the right thing and they made the right call. And Fox News had it right the whole time. They had a daze. They had a daze, John, before Arizona was the second to last state called. Fox News called it on election night, right? Or I think either election night or the day after. So Fox, I think Fox News, that was sort of a, a – uh, a hit in the armor for them was the Arizona call where they lost a lot of people and they pissed off a lot of people. So do I see OAN and Newsmax kind of circling the drain? Yeah, but I think those are still small fish uh, in a big pond and Fox News is the pond or the lake or however you want to say it. Um, I think they'll always pivot back. They're going to welcome Trump with open arms. They're going to praise DeSantis for everything he's done. I don't think this necessarily changes the narrative on them. But what I do think it changes is they're getting made fun of, I think, for the first time by their own people. Tucker's getting made fun of. Um, Kilmeade was uh, was devastated today at the jobs report. Like, literally, he was praying that the jobs report was going to be so bad. He wants America to suffer just to keep playing President Biden. I think they're running out of ways to make excuses. And the last point I want to say is, you know, you know politics better than me, but something that's pretty common on the right and left is we don't like quote unquote losers. Hillary would, if she ran again, would not do as well, right? Bernie ran again, didn't do as well. Um, we don't necessarily, Beto hit his peak and then completely tanked in the presidential race, even lost the governorship race more than he did the Senate race with Ted Cruz. So I think, I think they think Trump is a loser, and they really want to pass the baton to DeSantis to get some momentum going. But I think they, they can't yet. And I think that's why you, you don't see – I think that's why you see a little bit of, of muddy waters is because for the first time, I think, in a long time, Fox News doesn't have a real direction to go in. Nothing they're doing on Biden is sticking. The hearings are backfiring. Everything's backfiring. They're getting sued left and right. Trump, DeSantis. And I just think they don't – they're floundering a little bit. And that's why maybe there's a little bit of blood in the water. Yeah, well, I think that um... – I think also with they're not sure. I think I think there's an identity crisis, right? And we'll get to it later about the potential indictment in New York of Trump. But I think that they also, while a lot of people assume that Trump will be the nominee, one given um, DeSantis's at least early popularity and strength combined with potential indictments. I think that the right is, you know, I was talking about right-wing media, but let me just talk about the larger right. The right is very segmented. They, you know, while we oftentimes assume that Trump's going to be the nominee, uh, there's some real reasons between the census' strength and also, be, you know, besides the legal in- incidents. Also, I think, you know, one of the things that I'm hearing more and more, the moderates are like uh, Larry Hogan, and I'm, I think... I'm not sure what um, Asa Hutchinson out of uh, Arkansas is doing. I know that some of the moderates are kind of standing down, thinking they're going to go right. But I also think, especially if Trump goes down, it might create space for moderates. Um, and so I do think that um, some of what's going on with Fox is that the discipline, one-stop shop, this is a centralized talking point element not just with talking points, but with the larger media environment, I don't think that's going to be the case, especially if, you know, we've seen those clips and the talk about how Fox News looks like they're trying to pivot to DeSantis, and then they send the reporters out in the field, and and the the viewers are still pro-Trump. So I think that, and, and you know what's fascinating when you consider Dominion lawsuit and some of the other things, I'm surprised that Fox News is has not. It, 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 they need to do a better job of tightening things up, right? Um, and I'm when I'm talking about tightening things up, I'm talking about their accuracy. You know, with all this Dominion stuff, um, how do we even consider Fox News as a media outlet? How do we consider them as legitimate media? How do they even have White House press credentials, right? So, you know, I think that I think that right now is a tough time for them because um, I don't think they know what they want to do. And I don't think they know where they should be on a lot of this stuff. 
I'll, I'll push back on one thing. I think they know what they want to do. I just think they they don't know how to get there. I think they clearly want to pivot to DeSantis and make him the new king of the castle and then put all the coverage in that and build that case for the, the next two years. Um, and as you see, kind of DeSantis kind of visit places for the first time. He was in, obviously in uh, Illinois. I wouldn't say Chicago. He was in Illinois for the mayoral kind of race. He was, I think he's prepping for Iowa right now. So anybody who goes to Iowa, I think is pretty serious, uh, going to run. So I think they, they want to pivot. I just think Trump has them. Trump has, I won't finish the saying, but Trump has them. And, um, they, I don't know how they'll cover the indictments. Do they pivot? Do they try to deflect or do they sink them under the bus? I always said, John, the biggest mistake Republicans made was that second impeachment because they could have buried him and they could have impeached him and they could have made it a rule legally that he could not run for president again and they could have moved on. And I think the base would have stayed. I truly do believe the base would have stayed. But unfortunately, they wanted their cake in the 82 and now they're just finding out that they created a, a, a Frankenstein. And he's going to be hard to kill, uh, metaphorically speaking. So um, he's already said if he's indicted, he's going to run. And here's the thing. Polls, and I don't know if they're polls or just kind of reporting, they think it'll help him. Being indicted and and, and, and running, they think it'll help him boost his numbers. So um, do I think in a primary who wins? I think Trump blows DeSantis out the water. I truly do believe. I think DeSantis' biggest fear is that Trump doesn't get taken out some way or one way or the other. Because DeSantis does not want that smoke. I've seen him stick up for himself a little bit, but Trump's calling him um, Meathead or Meatball or Con DeSantis and, and all this other stuff. So um, I'm interested in seeing that, but I don't know where we're talking about. But, but I, I think Fox News knows what they want to get to. I just think they have a hard time kind of pulling that Trump cord. Yeah, I, I, I think they do. And I think, I mean, here's the thing. Um, especially, and I think we should pivot to New York right now, although it's so easy to stay in D.C. and do some other things. So if we pivot to New York and we talk about the fact that, you know, Trump is looking at, you know, the New York Times came out this past week and said that Trump is looking at potential charges in regards to the Stormy Daniels case. Um, And I say that to say that the reporting on Trump is based upon it's a done deal. He'll be the nominee again, blah, 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 blah. But we also have a situation where, um, let's be honest, by August, by the time, at least in Illinois, that we'll be working on ballot access issues, circulating petitions, there's a better, there's a great chance that uh, Trump will have at least two, two state-level charges, one out of New York, the other out of Georgia. I'm not sure if we'll, we'll have federal charges by then. but. Um, we've never had a president running facing criminal indictment. And, and, and on the one hand, I don't think that we should just assume that the criminal indictment will dissuade Trump, will dissuade his, his supporters. But I also think that for people who are talking about, are talking like they know what's going to happen, we are going to be entering uncharted territory. And, and, and I think, and I think that all, I think that all factors in on Fox News's coverage. You know, that they very well are saying, yeah, we could poke the bear. Maybe we can dance with DeSantis because by the time we really need to consider who is legally a candidate, Trump might not be there, right? Because I could see some blue states, Illinois, New York, California, passing laws that will say if you're facing criminal indictment, you cannot even be on our ballots. You do realize that states can do that. Someone might not pass a federal law, but you could actually in some in some blue states. And think about it. Who are your blue states now? Um, your blue states are Illinois, California, and uh, New York. Granted, Trump can't win those anyways. But you know who else is a blue state right now? Michigan, and 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 Michigan and Michigan could very well uh, pass that law. Right, uh, Arizona. Arizona. I, I, well, yeah, Arizona. I think are they? Do they have their legislature? I know we have a Democratic governor, but do we have? Yeah, didn't they have a governor? The governor won. I think the the, the treasurer. Or something. But what, yeah, what about sure what about their legislature? It's the governor and the legislature. But blue, yeah. but if their if their legislature's dim, so I said it all to say that you could literally have a situation where the decision could be made for Trump. I don't think 
I don't think California, New York, and Illinois keeping Trump off the ballot would necessarily hurt them because, although it's just a bad look, this guy won and he can't even be on the ballot, or this guy's running for president and he can't be on the ballot. But I do wonder if that's something that, that would happen. I would love for that to happen. Um, but I also wonder how nitpicky Republicans would get where they might start indicting people for the sake of indicting people to keep Biden off of a thing or whatever. Um, but yeah, this is fascinating, John. We, we, we talked about it for years now. We always wondered who would be the first to the water, who would be the first to charge Trump. We always thought it would be either New York or Georgia before the federal came in. I also think some of them are waiting for each other. I think this is going to come in waves, right? Just like um, certain uh, criminals, just like certain basketball players in the news right now. There's usually stories that are just around, 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 and just waiting for the right person to step up, and then everything else comes out, right? So maybe New York follows, then Georgia's right after, then Federal's right after, or vice versa, right? So um, I find this absolutely fascinating, John. Do you, based on everything we've read, the articles, uh, so Michael Cohen, late today I read, Michael Cohen was going to be talking to a grand jury. He's met with them 19 times, so it's pretty clear that they're ramping him up to be the star witness of this thing, obviously, because he was involved. Do you think this is inevitable? Do you, do you think there's any way that this leads to Jem just saying, oh, well, there's evidence there, but we're not going to do anything about it, or, or, or there's not enough there. There's no smoking gun, like with Matt Gates or nothing like that. What do you think? Do you think this is inevitable, like everybody thinks? I think we're close to inevitable. I don't want to speak out of school uh, on that. Um, I think that from what we've heard, again, you and I are where have you, by the way, you do know, at least I claim a law and order SVU degree. We do have to find a place to give you your law degree. I think you've watched enough uh, internet, TV shows, movies, etc. that you... Can I claim law and order organized crime? Yeah, you can claim law and order organized crime if necessary. Uh, but very rarely do they ever involve a prosecutor. They're just all about stably going ahead and, and, and busting them mob. But that being said, um, <laughs> uh, that being said... I, you know, everything that we're seeing says to people where they're saying that part of the reason, for those of you who don't know, part of the reason why people think that an indictment isn't near is that they've asked Trump to testify in front of the grand jury. And evidently, uh, in a lot of these state level criminal cases, I'm not sure if it expands to the feds, but evidently, uh, this is like the last thing they do before they bring an indictment. They usually give uh, one of the potential targets, and everybody believes Trump's a target. They, they, you know, they, they give one of the potential targets an opportunity. Now, I guess the question would be, as relates to Alvin Bragg, who is the district attorney in Manhattan, um, if one, this was the plan all along, if this was, uh, or it, it, it came about because of his procedures, or if he was spooked by the book that I think one of the prosecutors' last name is Pomerantz, um, you know, or Potterholtz or Pomerantz, I've, I've got to look up the name, but is it is it you know was it something that happened organically because of the methodology that Bragg had already implemented, or is this renewed interest uh, because of the heat generated by the book? Um, you know, either way, if he's indicted, he's indicted. Now, what's funny? I'm not sure if you picked up on this. There were some of the people in the do something caucus, you know, to do something, uh, who were including the people who thought that Bragg, you know, took an unfortunate knee when he punted the first time, who are now skeptical about whether or not this is the case to bring. So I will tell you, that's my issue with the do-nothing caucuses. They've been complaining, complaining, complaining that, you know, Bragg took a knee on it. And now that Bragg looks like he's moving on it, they're poo-pooing the legitimacy of the case. Yeah, interesting. I remember when he punted it the first time and, and, outrage and everything kind of led to i think there was two prosecutors resigned or whatever um what's interesting about this one john similar to georgia i think if i'm not mistaken he kind of openly admitted to this on twitter a long time ago if i'm not mistaken he talks about this and he kind of puts himself in position where um he kind of admits it without admitting it you know how they do um similar to georgia right i think everybody's like what do we need a grand jury for in Georgia? We heard the phone call. Like that's it doesn't need it's not circumstantial evidence. We heard it. Um, similar to this, it's pretty clear that he did this. What's helpful is Michael Cohen, who made the payment himself, right? I think it came out of 
of his bank account or he wrote the check. It was his name, whatever. Um, who would have thought that Stormy Daniels, right? When that first came out, um, I remember thinking, yeah, I'm not surprised. But if she, if she ultimately is the downfall of him, I'd be very, very fascinating. Also, John, this is something that's interesting that I find similar to the Al Capone and the tax evasion stuff is this is the kind of case that's that's those paper trail cases that are pretty non-refutable, right? It's not based on necessarily witnesses. It's not based on hearsay or what the definition of the rule is. It's like, look, he told me to pay this check to her to shut her up. Stormy Daniels was in on it. Here's the check. And it's pretty clear that, that it's one of those, like, there's not a lot of gray area. It's either he did it or he didn't do it. It's pretty clear that he did it. So I wonder if, if they really have debt to rights similar to Georgia in that way. Like, the the, the federal case at Mar-a-Lago is a little bit more grayer, right? He's the president. You get these classified stuff. Uh, Biden had documents, right? Like, um, Pence had documents, right? So it's a little bit more grayer. Where this is... Did you pay the? Did you pay her the hush money? I did pay her the hush money. All right, you're guilty, right? So, um, I'll take my my half law degree from Law and Order, uh, organized crime. But it just seems like it's much more of a black and white case as opposed to others that he's involved in. Yeah, no, no, it is. It is something that, um, we will see. But I want to head back to DC, and uh, it, I don't know. Let me check the prep. I'm not sure this is on prep, but um. Let's talk about, uh, and I'm not sure if you saw it. It was on yesterday, today is Friday. It would uh, that we're recording this. This launches on Monday, but on Thursday, did you watch uh, the hearing where Matt Tybee was actually uh, testifying? And uh, between um, uh, Stacy Plaskett, uh, Dan Goldman, and even. Uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz uh, and others, they really went in on Taibbi and it was another, what, another hearing that backfired, right? It was another hearing that backfired. So what was your thoughts? Uh, first of all, I thought Plaskett tangling with um, Jim Jordan was just fantastic. Yeah, Jim Jordan has rapidly risen Um as the number one um, people, like when Mitch McConnell fell and got hurt, I felt bad a little bit. Like five years ago, I probably wouldn't have, but I felt bad a little bit. If Jim Jordan falls and hurts himself, I would not feel bad at all. So he's number one on that list. Uh, so I was glad to see her go at him a little bit. This completely backfired on John. Um, it was pretty clear that also, you know what I really love? It backfired on Rogan, backfired on Musk. Like it's just collateral damage for everybody kind of in that circle which I absolutely love. Um, the problem, John, is these guys aren't that smart, right? Musk, Musk isn't that smart. Rogan's isn't that smart. Rogers, all these guys aren't just inherently smart at all. And so they say things and then they realize, oh, Joe Rogan, full speech, I can say what I want. Spotify, what the bam, right? And then later it gets used in a congressional hearing against your own self, which is fascinating to me. Um, you know what I love also, John, is, again, I don't mean to talk about people's characters, but he doubled his followers or tripled or quadrupled his followers, whatever the number was over this past kind of year. And he was feeling himself. Like he was like, I'm the guy and I finally made it. And I'm this big time reporter now and everyone's paying attention to me, but for the wrong reasons. And when you're in that crowd that includes Musk and Rogan, all these right wingers now, you're no longer, um, you're just unsalvageable. You're never going to come back from that. And so I, I also love that he, committed career suicide he doesn't quite know it yet and that's what i personally think yeah well debbie wasserman schultz brought up a very good point and let me give you guys a little bit of background so when you see congressional hearings um and i'm gonna talk more generically not specifically to this particular panel or even to the house versus the senate but essentially what happens is the majority gets uh, a set of witnesses so usually it's a three to one right They'll get three witnesses and the minority will get one witness. And oftentimes, um, both the majority and the minority select their um, witnesses based upon what they expect, but also sometimes because of partisan alignment. And 
one of the things that happened is Taibi is a, a journalist and was so funny is Stacy Plaskett really pissed off the right and pissed off a lot of folks by referring to uh, Taibi as a so-called journalist. I love you some Stacy Plaskett, but um, who still had, if you haven't seen it and you might, you might've forgotten about it. If you have, I will send it to you. She and her staff had the best January 6th picture of all time. It was it, down to, there was a, let me just, I'll have to send it to you if you've not, just to refresh your memory. But that being said, um, one of the things that W. Westerman Schultz pointed out is as a journalist, you're allowing yourself to be used in a partisan manner. The, there's a full acknowledgement that usually this this candidate or this particular witness is uh, aligned with the Democrats or this particular witness is aligned with Republicans. As a journalist and a lot of credible journalists would never allow themselves to participate unless subpoenaed, right? But there's still a respect for the First Amendment. But most journalists would not allow themselves voluntarily, maybe through subpoena, but voluntarily to participate in a congressional hearing, uh, at least as a partisan witness. Maybe that sometimes they might have a large witness, right? Here's the Republican witnesses. Here's the Democratic witnesses. And maybe there's one or two witnesses that they agree on, right, that are that both sides. But he was there as a Republican witness. And even though, you know, a lot of his writings and his history might suggest that he's a liberal or a progressive, he literally allowed himself to be used by the right. And I was so glad that Debbie Wasserman Schultz called him out on that. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people, um, it was, uh, who was it? It was, um, it might have been Joe Rogan. It was someone who tweeted, uh, why does everyone think Musk is uh, a right winger now? Like, he's voted Democrats in the past, blah, blah, blah. And I think, um, who was it on MSNBC who had a 60-minute rundown of everything that Musk has done in the past year that's super right-wing Republican, right? So I think a lot of people think that we don't know what's going on, that these people, that Musk only replies to right-wing kind of blue checks, that he's anti-Democrat now. He literally tweeted on Election Day to go vote for Republicans. He thinks DeSantis is going to, Rogan thinks DeSantis is going to blow Biden out. Everyone thought it was a red wave. Like, it's not lost on me that the, some of the biggest names in um, that world are all kind of right wing and they spend a lot of their time saying, well, the media so left now and everybody's so woke now. In reality, it's just that they created a bubble and everyone who's against that bubble, they think is woke and, and out of place. Um, so I think it's important, John, I, John, correct or don't correct me. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, do you, do you agree that, I'm not saying Democrats aren't capable, but it seems like since 2018, we haven't missed. Like, we've handled these hearings extraordinarily to me. We're not even fighting it. We're just pointing out the absurdity of it in the right way, and it's going viral. And and and, and it's not that I, I never thought Democrats could do it before, but we spent a lot of time saying Democrats are losers. They don't know how to message. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to run opposition. They don't know how to run counterparty. And here we are just flawlessly executing all of these things from small time Democrats to Biden for all these other things. Uh, do you kind of see that? Like we're, we're, everything that's coming out of these hearings is just Democrats just completely outsmarting everything the Republicans are doing. Going back to the January 6th hearings, to all of that stuff. Well, I think it goes back to something you and I have talked about in previous weeks. And it is one of the things that happened on the right is that Republicans have for years and both parties do, I should say this, but more so than more so on the GOP than the Republican side. And this comes down to even messaging. Republicans have for years pandered to low information voters and and Democrats, even though we definitely want to we might we have our share of low, low message, uh, low information voters and we message to them as well. Um, with our candidates, we don't want our candidates to be every man. We want—I mean, it's weird. We want them to connect every man, and yeah, especially when you look at like a John Fetterman and uh, you know Tim Ryan, who's no longer in in Congress. But we like the every man, but we still like the the Harvard educated every man or the really well educated every man. And what's happened is those low information voters that Republicans have courted for years are now members of Congress. And, you know, we have Stacey Plaskett, we have Dan Goldman, we have, you know, uh, 
Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who are not low information voters. And so you actually have whack jobs like the Republicans, you know, overseeing their role in the actual um, uh, hearings, but they're going up with the best and the brightest. You know, Dan Goldman is just one badass attorney. And, you know, you and you literally have. It's not surprising me in many ways, because when you elect really good and smart and ethical people in environments like that, they are able to shine and Republicans are. And let's go back to a sports analogy. You and I love football, the football coach. You exploit your opponent's mistakes. And as Hakeem takes his various uh, uh, ranking members and, and people who are the top ranking Democrats in their respective committees, and as a group, they've got to know that, yeah, the Republicans potentially outshout them. They're going to maybe do some double standards with the gavel and everything else. At the end of the day, a Democrat's five minutes with a particular candidate or a particular witness is probably going to be a lot more effective than a Republican who will just sit there and shout. And I think you have, when you, you have David Cicilline, who we're going to really miss, but you have Jimmy Raskin, who's just a badass, who's a law professor, by the way. When you have them going up against the likes of Jim Jordan, I think it's no contest. Fair enough. You make a great point, John. I think that's an extremely valid point. Is Jim Jordan and even Lauren Barber got completely embarrassed this, this week. She tried to make a point about remote workers not being real workers, and there's a 25% of the workforce is working at home in 2020. And the witness, I forgot her name, forgive me, said, um, oh, well, that was the Trump administration. I wasn't part of the Trump administration. I can't speak to that. But even that, right, even that is very effective messaging because it's not saying, oh, I wasn't part of that administration. They're pointing out, hey, you're, you're talking smack about your guy here. It's not our guy. You're, put, you're doing that, right? And everything that they're throwing at us, we're just, we're just, it's like, it's like curve, it's like softballs to us and we're just knocking them out the park. Jamie Raskin is a badass, right? And Jim Jordan is, is a fool to me. Like he's just, he's used to being uh, the smartest person in the room, in a room full of not smart people. So when you really get in a room with smart people, you become the dumbest person in the room, right? And so that's what Jim Jordan is to me. And he's their leader, He's their leader, and he's the dumbest person in the room. So I'm loving all of this. It really makes me feel good, to be honest. It's funny you say that. I remember when I was, I'm not sure if it was junior high or high school, I got a DMI report card, and I think it was like a 69 or something. And I was just trying to convince my mom that I was the smartest of the dumb people. I literally tried that argument with my mom. It did not go over too well, <laughs> did not land too well, but I remember trying to convince my mom that I had the highest D out of everybody, so I should be getting given some credit for that, and that's what Jim Jordan is doing. Um, but, you know, it, it, it literally comes down to it, and even to the witnesses, because the witnesses aren't the best prepared on their side, and I think they're better prepared on our side. Um, you know, when, when you look at, um, I'm not sure I'm going to switch to the Senate, I'm not sure if you saw that exchange between, uh, I'm not sure the guy's last name, uh, he's a senator from Oklahoma, Mark Wayne, somebody. Uh, and he was trying to go in on the president of the Teamsters who gave as good as he got. And literally, it was one of those things where he was going after the Teamsters and the Teamsters were going back at him. And that's partly because the Republicans are, first of all, let's be honest, and I'm not going to be naive. In most cases, and we do it on our side as well, but in most cases, you have a situation where both parties, especially the members, look to the hearings for their sound bites. You know, it's, you know, some of that shouting and screaming and owning of the witness or owning of the other side, it very quickly turns into an email. It very quickly turns into a viral clip and is very quickly fundraised for. And that's not a right left thing. That's just something that's done. But when you can do all that, but add some underlying substance, that's amazing. Right. And I think the reality is, is the Republicans are going for that viral clip and they're getting the viral clip because of the shouting and screaming. But whether it's their other uh, the, their Democratic colleagues in the House or Senate committees or the Democratic witnesses, they're getting owned. So they get the soundbite 
and it probably pays plays well to their base. And you and I know that's probably part of the problem with our politics is that if you and I got in an argument with a Republican, after the argument, we'd high we'd get high five from other Democrats, and the Republicans would get high five from everybody else. I'm not sure how the middle would would react. I'm not sure how the independents would react, but I do think right now that you're probably still getting the Democrats loving it, the Republicans loving it, but I do think that those independents, those undecideds, I can't help but think that they're siding with the Democrats because the Democrats are not only winning winning on style, they're also winning on substance. I hate to keep saying it, but you're, you're making valid points. I think the most effective way to message is um, style and substance, like you just said, right? Can you be effective in getting through? And then once you're through, can you lay the message down, right? Like like the Wayne's Brothers in their movies where it just pops out and says message, right? Um, and they're short clips, right? It's not like six, seven minute PowerPoint presentations, right? It's, it's um, the clip of, um, hey, did you say this on the Joe Rogan show? He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, oh, so you're saying the opposite now under oath? Uh, do you believe what you said on the Joe Rogan show? Yeah. So that makes you, um, you know what I mean? And so it's just fast one minute clips. It, it, that goes to show you, like, we talk about the quality candidate or, or, or like the Democrats are younger. They're more um, in tune with their communities. They're, there's more di- diversity within the crowd. We see Jim Jordan um, running that one Twitter account where he's like, um, he talked about drip or something of, of somebody. I, I don't know if he saw that this week where it was a Republican. I think it was Trump or it might've been somebody where they're like trip King or whatever they said, they try to be cool and everyone sees through that. And so when you're able to really be yourself as a, as a member of Congress and get through it with, with effective messaging, I think it's good. I also think um, when these people go home, I think people remember that. Like when they go back in district, we talk about in district all the time. When they go back, I think these are moments that are big W's for them. We, not, we might not remember their names in the moment or they might not be superstars nationally yet, but I think locally it helps them too. So I think it's just wins all around. I'm, it shouldn't be happy with how all of this is going, to be honest. Like, Lone Boba trying to make Biden look bad. She, in turn, made Trump look bad, and that's the clip that goes viral everywhere. Um, they're doing our work for us, which is great. One of the things uh, you talked about tripping, I think we have to now go to the Mitch McConnell thing, which he's an 81-year-old man, So, and I, as, a, as a person who has an 88-year-old father and an 83-year-old, soon-to-be 84-year-old mother, um, I will tell you that um, it's scary, you know, uh, when you're of a certain age, a cough is not a cough, a cold is not a cold and a headache is not a headache. I mean, oftentimes it is, but it also can go another way. So, you know, Mitch McConnell is convalescing and he's going to be hospitalized for a few days. And I saw a tweet earlier today that said he's lobbying his doctors to get out of the hospital. But I said that all to say that, um, now granted, there's a difference between being the minority leader in the Senate and the president of the United States. But you realize that um, we have gotten into an environment with both on the right and the left. If Joe Biden had taken that spill, people would have been calling for the 25th Amendment. People would have been definitely calling for the 25th Amendment. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's weird because uh, it's how we react. Do you realize, I'm not sure if you saw, upon getting the news, it's a different chamber. It's the Senate, It's the House, not the Senate. Hakeem Jeffries just shut, said him the best well witches and support and said, you know, we're pulling for him, blah, blah, blah. I would never, ever see that coming from the right. I would see a fall by Biden or Pelosi or Schumer as, and I mean, look what's going on with Fetterman, you know, and his, and, and, and his depression. I would see that, I'd see the right would see that as one more opportunity to ridicule and be dispassionate and to hold up. And I was so impressed by Hakeem Jeffries going ahead and not going for the cheap laugh, not going for the cheap joke. And I'm not, you know, I didn't see the, I didn't know if he volunteered it himself, right? Because a lot of times we see the clip, we don't know if someone's walking up to the podium and just saying it unprompted or if someone asked him. But I just thought that was the greatest thing. And But I do want to look at, at how it relates from what we're seeing on the right. And do you think if the shoe was on the other foot with not only Biden, but any of the elderly Demo- or, or senior Democrats, the, the very seasoned Democrats, 
How do you think Dwight was reacting to a similar uh, incident on the left? Of course, of course, um, they would have they would have wanted hearings. They would have wanted um, they would have memed him. They would have put fake videos and audios and made fun of him on TikTok and everywhere. Um, well wishes. They would have. They would have. They would have probably tweeted. Oh. I wonder if we could get a president who doesn't fall all the time, right? That's what would have happened if Biden would have been there. Um, honestly, John, let me speak just me personally. I think Mitch McConnell has done evil things. I despise him. I think he's one of the worst things that's ever happened to this country. I think he's set our country back decades, if not more. I think he's not only done that, but he's done that in an evil way. What I mean by that is he's laughed behind our backs as he's done it. And when he fell, I just, my first thought was, well, I hope he's all right. Like, I hope he doesn't die. You know what I mean? Cause obviously I'm not, not that he like fell down the a building, but like old people, you know, anything could happen when they fall, you know? And my first thought was like, I hope it, this isn't the thing that kills him. You know what I mean? Um, that's my heart. I can't, sorry. I hate the guy, but that, that's just what I felt. That was my immediate thought. I don't believe that they feel like that. I believe that if Biden or something happened to Biden, they would celebrate it. And um, that makes me a little bit sad, but at the same time, um, that's what we're dealing with. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad to be on this side, if that makes sense. I'm really glad to be on this side in, in that, in that scenario. Yeah. It, you know, it was fascinating. It'll be interesting to see, um, it seems like he's in good shape. Uh, you know, right now, what's fascinating, although they have a tight hundred, um, you know, neither the Republicans or the Democrats can afford to be missing too many members. You know, Fetterman's hospitalized, Diane Feinstein, I'm, I'm sure, I hope she's out, but she had shingles. Um, so, you know, you had, you had a situation where um, uh, you had a, you know, the, the, the Senate is down a lot of members. And you know what's fascinating? You know, when um, Jennifer McClellan from Virginia got sworn into the House, I guess this is the first time in a couple of years that the, the House has had all 435 members. Now, that won't last long because David Cicilline is resigning sometime in June to become uh, the head of a non-for-profit in Rhode Island. But, um, you know, these both the House and the Senate, they 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 really can't afford too many absences. And I'm wondering, even with the padding that the Democrats, not the slim padding that the Democrats have in the Senate, I'm wondering is MVP, I think MVP had to be the deciding vote the other week on something. So we thought that she was going to be able to get away from the Senate. But evidently, especially with Fetterman's absence, she is having and now you have a straight 49 uh, 49 tie. Uh, she's actually had to be, uh, or 50-50 times, sorry, she's actually had to be the deciding vote. Yeah, I mean, good thing we have the White House, right? <laughs> um, she's been the deciding vote for a long time. So um, she's been the uh, deciding vote for a, a bunch of things over the years. So um, glad to have it on her side. Do you Have you heard anything about Fetterman? Do you know there's an expected timeline? Is he allowed to, like, Still vote or, or proxy or what? What's the situation? No, well, the, this just you know, um, the House had proxy during COVID. I don't think the Senate ever had proxy. Um, I read an article the other day, so he can't vote. His he when you're gone when you're missing the Senate, you're missing a Senate. And then also, just so you know, under the new Republican rules package, there is no proxy voting. Um, so the House can't even do proxy voting uh, in the in the House, which they were under Pelosi. And I think it's really bad because do you remember during um, the McCarthy, when McCarthy had his 14 votes to become speaker, um, there were two Republican members who uh, had to fly across country and miss some votes because they had to be with their families or, or medical issues. And this is why I think we need to reinstate proxy voting. And look, this would have benefited the Republicans. But let me tell you why, why proxy voting could hurt the Republicans. We have very, 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 very thin margins in this in the House right now, right? In addition to the thin margins we have in the House, you have a situation, and this is something you should understand. The East Coast, the Northeast is dominated by what kind of 
what party what party dominates the east coast do you have any idea democrats so so who are the members who are the democrats have more members within an hour to two hour drive quick flight of washington than the republicans so in situations where people are sick illnesses weather etc etc things that might prohibit people from getting back to dc who is in a better position to getting more members back to dc than uh than the other party the democrats so i think that the Rep- i i think there's going to be one or two times that the lack of proxy voting is going to come back to hunt republicans because Republicans have to go a further distance. More Republicans have to travel further distances to get to see get to D.C. than Democrats, and I think that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I think they'll bring it back, John. By the way, not the Republicans, the Democrats will. But this was part of the agreement. It has to be like this for two years. No, it could change any time. But, but this was the agreement that. Um, McCarthy had to make with the far right. It was a biting the nose off to spite the face, if you ask me. Yeah, I agree. They were trying to make a point and stick it to Pelosi. And again, it'll probably backfire on them for sure. But I, at the same time, I don't know how much folks they're going to have on much things. They're not going to be that effective and stuff like that. So maybe they just wanted to um, stick it to them already. They're already kind of almost halfway done with their first year. So uh, they're going to go. Summer, obviously, is, is pretty slow. So we'll see what ends up what ends up happening. Um, but I agree. I think it'll backfire just like, because they're, they're ineffective. John, I've said this from the beginning. They're ineffective at everything they do, even when they want to uh, rig the system. So uh, I can't wait till that day comes. So Joe Biden went ahead and released his budget. Another win for him. Now, granted, it hasn't passed. It's not even been voted on, Republicans, but it shows him doing stuff. And, you know, we oftentimes, and we've talked about this, we've got to make a conceited and conscious effort to always lift up what the Democrats are doing or what Biden's doing. Him putting his budget out, which doesn't mean anything from the standpoint of it's going to be approved, there's not going to be changes. But by him putting his budget out, he now gets to say to the Republicans and McCarthy, your move. You know, here's my budget. Here's what I stand for. This is what I want to do. This is how I plan on spending the people's money. This is how we're going to raise the money, et cetera, et cetera. Your move. So Joe Biden went ahead and released his budget. What was your reaction? Uh, I thought it was, I, I won't say it was a flex because presidents have to release budgets, but it was a flex. I, I mean, I hate calling it a flex, but it was a flex. Yeah, it was a total flex. And the way he announced it, um, don't tell me what you care about. Show me your budget, right? Like, even he said, like, I'm going to message on this too. You know what I mean? Um, which is which is amazing. Also, John, did you read the purport um, about Kevin McCarthy internally realizing that he has a problem with the budget? That... Democrats prove that they're going to cut the budget, cut the, or not cut the budget, cut the deficit uh, without cutting Medicare and all of the things the Republicans want to cut and without raising taxes. Like Democrats did the thing that the Republicans want to do. And now he can't go to his caucus and be like, what do you want me to do? They, they cut the budget, they cut the deficit. They're not raising taxes and they're not cutting the things we want to cut, but they fixed it. So he has an internal problem and the Republicans are going to want to veto the, crap out of this or not pass there. I don't know how the budget actually works at some point, but um, they're not going to want to move forward with this, but I think that it's going to backfire on them too. Like John, everything that's dysfunctional now in government is going to get blamed on Republicans. And I find that absolutely hilarious because it's ironic because it is, it is them. So Biden should get out message in the fact that he's going to cut the budget, cut the deficit. I keep saying budget. He's going to cut the deficit. He's not going to touch Medicare and Medicaid. He's going to not raise taxes. Uh, oh, he wants to raise taxes on the rich, obviously. And I think that's messaging gold. Like all of those things are messaging, polling gold. So just keep leaning into that. Yeah, and it'll be, and, and we're, we're starting to hear more talk. Um, it died down for a couple of months, for a month or two. But um, we're starting to hear more and more talk about what it would mean if we default, which I think is very fascinating. And they can play that game if they want to. But the, but the Republicans have now created an environment where I don't want to say they've boxed themselves in. You know, it might, that might be premature to say, but they have definitely put themselves in a position to where um, they're going to have some challenges going forward. And those challenges are based upon 
the fact that they have a crazy right wing. And what will happen will be um, all you need is 10, 15, um, uh, not rogue Republicans, but Republicans that care about the country, that care about the country's credit rating and everything else. You just need them to go rogue and and it's join in on a discharge petition. And next thing you know, um, those budgets get called. And as we know, McCarthy and the folks in the, I mean, not McCarthy, uh, McConnell and the guys in the House, I mean, in the Senate, no, um, they can't be, you know, irresponsible. I mean, think about it. When you, you, we were talking earlier about the whole Tucker Carlson, Kevin McCarthy piece, whereas the Republicans in this House were kind of lockstep with McCarthy and uh, Tucker Carlson, the Democrats or the Republicans in the Senate, they were definitely critical. And so now when we fast forward to the budget, I could see a situation where you get a budget that does okay in the Senate and passes the House with majority, with Democrats, uh, you know, the Democrats carried over the finish line. I don't know if it'll happen, if it'll be a Democratic bill, not a Democratic bill, but, you know, all Democrats make a move forward and you pick up a few Republicans, or Kevin's able to get, you know, say 85% of his caucus and we let some Democratic votes go over <coughs> to vote for it. Because at the end of the day, we need this budget, even if we don't get all of our priorities. And that's a compromise, right? Our compromise is that we're the party in the minority, so we're not going to get everything we want. That's it, right? We'll, we'll st- even though we're not getting everything we want, we'll give you a few votes. I don't know. You and I are not involved. We're not negotiating. But it will be really fascinating to see how this thing plays out. Yeah, it is. Um, I wonder if it's remember when McCarthy was negotiating with Pelosi about the January 6th commission, he's like, I'm not going to let her do whatever she wants. And they made, they made demands and Pelosi's like, cool, I'll give you all your demands. And then they're like, Oh, they made a reason not to go through with it anyways. I wonder if it's something like that where Republicans say Biden didn't do this, 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 and Biden actually does it. And then it just backfires on them nationally on the national scale. Um, John, how often do we vote? Is it yearly budget or how often does this happen? Ooh, it should be a fiscal year budget. But what happens a lot of times is that because there's so much partisan bickering, and I'm talking historically and traditionally, I'm not talking any specific year, but because there's oftentimes partisan bickering, they end up times, instead of doing a full-fledged budget, they do a bunch of continuing resolutions, right? We're going to pass a two-month budget. We're going to pass a three-month budget. But realistically, a budget should be for the entire fiscal year. But we are so divided with such slim margins that it's become harder and harder to just pass a budget outright for either party, right? And and so that's the challenge. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But, you know, I, I felt good about it. You know, Biden did what he needed to do. Now, one of the things that we actually um, should talk about was this uh, week. It was a tragedy, which had a very curious ending. And that was there were four people from South Carolina who traveled across the border, I guess. Were they coming? What was their last um, U.S. stop? Was it San Antonio or El Paso or something like that? And they went right into uh, Mexico and they were ambushed with two of them, well, three of them getting shot, two of them dying, and then in the other two, including one of the people wounded, taken hostage. And it's a tragedy. Um, the two survivors have been returned to the USA. Um, the uh, people who carried it out actually have been turned over to authorities. Now, this is where it gets more curious, is they got turned over to the authorities by the um, uh, cartel whose behalf they were acting on, and the cartel took it upon itself to issue an apology, which, you know, many of us, myself included, especially as a comms person, thought it was kind of, I don't want to use the word comical or music because we're dealing with a tragedy here, but definitely peculiar that the um, cartel, you know, I question whether or not the cartel had crisis management. Um, when you think about cartels, you just think crooks, outlaws. Uh, who knew that they were, that they had a communications arm? But you know, there are, uh, I hate to tell you those, many of the terrorist organizations also have spokespeople and communication wings. But what was your reaction to, one, the the initial tragedy, and then two, the um, rather peculiar response uh, that 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 uh, went down the minute that we found out that, um, uh, the, you know, everybody was, the, the two survivors were returned and uh, everything else. 
So I have a general rule. First, the first thing I want to say is obviously the tragedy. People lost their lives. And, and I don't mean to joke or, or make fun of this. Obviously, you don't either. So I just want to put that out there first. Um, second is I have a general rule that I don't talk about the cartels, cartels for obvious reasons. So I'm not going to really go into that aspect. But let me tell you what I really want to talk about is someone has already been writing this screenplay. Like someone's already started last night. They opened final draft and they saved the document. I don't know what the title is yet. It's probably a working title. This is a Hollywood movie that's been begging to be made. America's crossover. It goes south, unfortunately. And then once they realize they're Americans is involved, American government gets involved. The cartels who famously went in opposition on the Mexican government were killing journalists left to right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They get so scared of the American government that they are like, we don't want any smoke. We're gonna head. We're gonna head pick some guys to give to you. This is what we're gonna do. Here's the people responsible, whether they're responsible or not. They're yours. We're gonna leave them handcuffed to a car in the middle of the road. You can come pick them up. And here's an apology letter. I find this absolutely fascinating for a bunch of reasons. But the fact that they were like, all right. We don't want the American government come sniffing over here. By the way, the American government is already sniffing. Your CIA, FBI, they, they're already they're already obviously involved. Um, but I just, like I said, I don't mean a joker or, or anything like that. But I just find this, uh, if, if this was a movie, I would obviously not be surprised within the next two years if this is a movie. Well, you know, one of the things I read, though, is that really is actually the Mexican government, the Mexican military. And I think because of the embarrassment to Mexico, and to know that Illinois, that the U.S. government's going to be moving and moving fast, um, it's uh, actually the Mexican government that is actually holding folks accountable. And I think that was part of the reason for the apology note, because there was probably, given the, the violence and the density of the violence and all that's going on in Mexico, the Mexican government, the Mexican military can't be everywhere, Right. And I think that there's probably some type of prioritization, right, where they're going to be more heavy handed in places in which tourists, not just Americans, but tourists, um, the general public, I think they're less concerned if it had turned out what they thought it was going to be. Right. And remember that the belief was that the Mexican cartels thought that the people coming across the border were Haitian smugglers and had it been Haitian smugglers being killed i'm sure that the mexican government would not have reacted the international world wouldn't have reacted the way they did and so the cartel i read somewhere that the cartel may be reacting not just to lower the heat and smoke from the um, u.s government but the lower the heat and smoke from the um you know the mexican government because i think the belief is as long as you don't harm people who have no connection to the trade uh, no connection to the cartels, no connection to the cartels' enemies. Um, we're going to kind of look the other way. But once you start, you know, harming civilians, especially foreign nationals, uh, then we got to step in. And so I think, to your point about the not wanting to smoke, I think it's not just the smoke from the Americans, but I think that there was kind of a, from what I've read, or at least how I've interpreted what I read, it, I got the impression that there's some level of coexistence that the government um, doesn't really look the other way, but they have other priorities that they have to deal with. And by this happening, they've now made that region a priority. Yeah, obviously when, um, yeah, uh, 100%, John. This, when I'm sure that go- the governments talk to each other, I don't know if Biden and the president of Mexico talk, but certainly counterparts within their staffs definitely talk at some point. Um, when it becomes to that level, then then the government's going to crack down on you. And, and, and as I wouldn't say as you know, but the police are just generally bad for business when you're a criminal, right? So um, the cartels probably wanted to fix it ASAP so they could get back to what they do, which is weird to talk about it in that way, but that's how they look at it for sure. It's a business to them. And, and so anything that gets in the way, they're going to want to um, fix and move on. Uh, I just, I just, I've never seen anything like this. I've never, like, it happens in the movies all the time where a cop shows up and it's like, just give me a guy. I don't care if it's the guy who did it or didn't do it. Just give me a guy to turn in. Cause I got to close this case. They're on my, they're on my ass about it. So, and that's what happened. That's what I, I saw the picture. It was just five guys handcuffed. It, I, I believe that's the picture. Right. So um, I just, it's, it's just fascinating. It's just, 
it's one of those stories that, again, there's probably a lot more to it. And I bet you that that within the next year or two years, there's going to be a greenlit movie or a documentary. Netflix is already probably trying to buy the rights as we speak now. Yeah, one of the things as we wrap, and this is going to be up full circle as we approach an hour, I'm going to close on uh, just like a, a bitter note, but it actually goes back, back to who we talked about at the beginning. I saw footage of a Fox News correspondent in the airport in South Carolina waiting on one of the victims to return, the one that was injured, who was being wheeled through the airport, and he was trying to get privacy. He went through a traumatic incident, and they were they were sticking a microphone in his face, and they were even making, I think, the implication that, you know, there's more here than meets the eye in a negative sense, and it just showed me what type of disgusting individuals everybody everybody at fox news is and i and i'm i'm sick and tired of everyone saying oh there's good reporters or bad reporters you know especially like the brett bears of the world the martha mccombs all the alleged good guys if you're still working for that network you are no longer a good or legitimate journalist in my opinion well thousand percent but i I, and and i'm not giving fox news credit here i will say that journalists generally have a history of crossing the line and and i'm not just talking about the paparazzi or i don't put it called that journalism but there's a lot of journalists who just have to grind to get the story, right? It's, it's, you want to be the first one. You want to be the first one to publish. You sometimes might cross ethical moral lines to do that. In this case, I'm not surprised if they were the only ones there who were trying to get that story. I bet you there was a million people who were trying to reach out to get that story. Um, so I'm not defending them, but I do think that there's a toxic uh, level of, um, there's just a toxicity to journalism on some level that sometimes could cross kind of moral and ethical boundaries for sure. Right. So on that note, it's we're, all, we're over an hour. Or so for now, this is Dan signing off. And this is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye.